The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I'm joined by my co-host, Dave. How's it going, Dave? Going great, buddy. I'm going to turn you down to my headphones because you're loud today. Am I loud today? Am I hitting that's yours? Wait. Yeah, that. Yeah, I just kind of not didn't hear. Be careful with that. The headphones, all right? You're, well, because you know our setup got moved here because you know you're 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 knocking down the wall. You're expanding the studio to include like a jacuzzi and everything in here. So. You wanted the jacuzzi, man. All right, I'm just trying to you know play to the talent and give the talent what he wants. I think people want to hear a podcast from a jacuzzi. Who says j- podcasting and jacuzzis don't mix? See, like the bubbling in the background. Yeah, man. I, the electronics will handle it. These are this is good equipment. <laughs> Well insulated. Yes, we are renovating the house, which is where the studio is. And it involved getting all of the carpet out of this room to get a new carpet. But here's what happened. The the people installing the carpet took all of the stuff out of the studio, which included all of our equipment. They unplugged all the wires, all the mics, everything. Wait, Can these I... were not already unplugged? You didn't do this yourself? You mean these weren't already unplugged? No, the, the the folks who we paid to do this did this. I'm not going to do their work for them. You didn't take, you didn't remove the expensive technical equipment yourself. What kind of setup do you think we have? You think this is Phil Spector's wall of sound? There's maybe you know 150 dollars worth of equipment well, in, in that, your field of vision right well, if now. Well, it means that little to you, then I can take it. Well, then how would we do the podcast? Dave? Well, I'll, I'll rent it out to you. So I'm going to give you my equipment and then pay you rental. The point is, I don't like the fact that you just like, what, you leave it for them to do? It's like, no, you you got to help out or at least get rid of the uh, important expensive stuff. Wait, we're, we're going to get to that in a second, but just let, let me finish. All right. They unplugged everything. Ryan Carilla, enemy of the common man. Let, let me. They took everything out. They unplugged everything. Then we unrolled the new carpet. The new carpet wasn't big enough for the room. By we, you mean them. Yeah, them. Yeah. Of course, them, right? And okay, and yeah, and 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 so they couldn't install it, so I had to reinstall the equipment myself. And all right, fine. Let's talk about the thing you want to talk about. Yes, I had the people I paid to put the carpet in this room, putting the carpet in this room. Why should I have to help them? Wow, drawing lines. You mean drawing lines? I paid them for a service. You you think if they paid me for legal work, I would expect them to do doc review for me to help support it? What? You're saying that I need to help the renovators with this renovation project that I paid them to no, do. No, 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 no. You get stuff out of the room that's especially easily carryable, like the studio equipment, like the laptops, the mics, the mixer, and all that stuff. You put it like in another room. You don't just leave it. They're not supposed to do that? That's not part of the job? I feel like their job is made easier if you do that for them. Plus, it's also well, probably just common sense to make sure nothing gets dropped. I'm sure their job's also made easier if I lay down the carpet and put it into the floor, too, but... I mean, why don't you do that? Let's talk about this. What do you mean? That's ridiculous. That's absurd, David. That's absurd. That's their job. And I know I'm sounding wow. super elitist that's when I say it job, like that. That's their job, Ryan. That's their... Who's there, huh? Yeah. Mr. Attorney over here can't get his hands dirty. Damn straight! I bet you didn't even build this house, you son of a bitch. I, I did not. It was, but only because it was constructed about 25 years before I was born onto this planet. Oh, so it's not your problem. That's right. I was burdened by the whole not being in existence yet thing. Of course, what am I even saying? I mean, if this, if this house were built a year ago, I wouldn't have helped build it because that's not my job. Oh, wow. Wow. You just put people in casts, don't you, buddy? Oh, my God. You're, you're just, you know, it's not my job. Here's my job. I was born into this job. You essentially were born into your job because everyone in your family is a lawyer. Seriously, though. Are you telling... Am I wrong? Because yeah. you need... You know, you... Can't you wait until I ask the question first? Because, see, now I feel like you're not going to give me a genuine answer to this question because you're just going to say I'm wrong because you think it's funny. Can I get a genuine response from what I'm about to ask you? Because I honestly don't know the answer to this. Okay, sure. Okay? This is the first time I've ever, you know, this is my first house, and I've never had to do carpet. Re- re- 
Here, that folks' his first house. He already knows he's going to get a second at some point. Am I am I going Jerk. to be, am I going to get a genuine response out of you for yes, this? Yes, you not? are. Because it really doesn't seem like it. You it seems like go. you're already, the wheels are already turning. For how can I make fun of Ryan for what he's about to ask? Hey, you, honestly, know what, you, you know what you got into when you did this. I honestly don't know the answer to this. Okay, because I've never had to lay you know do a carpet related project in any home I've ever had before. So if somebody is installing a new carpet, is it honestly the homeowner's job? to get everything out of the room. Like all the furniture, even if it's heavy furniture, like that, is that, honestly, is that, was that supposed to be my job and I screwed up and I need to apologize to the carpet people? I think you should have gotten, in the very least, easy things. Like was your laptop, was everything on the desk there? Well, no, because I, I was at work, so my laptop was at work with me. But all, all, any other little items on the floor? Was everything on the floor? I might have put them in a box just so they, I knew where they were. Like the hamper? You have a hamper in here, which is so hygienic. I, just, I love being next to your dirty laundry, by the way. Yeah. I, was I that keep, in here? Uh, yes, it was. Wow. <laughs> Move my laundry, will you, peon? No. You, sh- you should have moved stuff. How about that uh, treadmill? The treadmill was still there. Where was it going to go? I don't know. How does it get in here? I have no... Oh, how did it get in here? Boy, that, that is... Was that- it disassembled? It had to be, yeah. And the okay. problem is is that, that once you assemble that... It's not, like, it's not an Ikea... Kind of thing. Like once you disassemble it, like it's not coming back together again. So it was dis- really sh- hard to get that into this room. You should have disassembled that. I mean, when we like, what were they going to do with that? I I I don't know. Well, that that sounds that that's 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 a problem that I I have them do. Wow. I honestly don't know what they're going to do with that treadmill. Wow. Because let me Ryan tell you, Carilla. let me let me tell you something. That treadmill was really hard to get into this room. Oh yeah. And if we eventually sell this house someday. The treadmill has to come with the house because we're not getting it out of here. Yeah, again. so your your new carpet's gonna be uh, it's just gonna be around the treadmill. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you can reach out to the Break the Business podcast. I I wouldn't. Not after what we just <laughs> found out about this guy. <laughs> you can reach out to the Break the Business podcast and its elitist host who has no respect for the common man by emailing us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow... You see that microaggression right there, folks? Email. What if you don't have email? What if you don't have a computer, man? What if you have no electronic setup whatsoever? You prefer you know, writing a letter. This guy doesn't care about you. That's true. We don't have any way for people to mail us. Um, I lost my train of thought. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ryan K-A-I-R. How about you, man of the people, David? Where can they find you on Twitter? If they so choose... Because they have their own free will and self-determination to control their lives. Mm-hmm. They don't have to follow me. They can look to see what I have to say, maybe, at Metal Dave 85 <laughs> But I'm not commanding them to follow me because I'm not some sort of self-righteous leaderish prick over here like you, buddy. Commanding your followers to, to jump off a cliff with you and say no to Sony and Warners. Not Here's a true fact. Yeah. Every single one of our listeners has rejected deals from Universal and Sony because yeah. of you. I that sounds awesome. I got and, a, an email the other day from a person that said I threw, I rejected a twenty million dollar record deal in the hope that Ryan's book will provide me some sort of sustenance. Let's see how that goes. Uh, that sounds that sounds completely plausible. Yeah, true fact. And I'm not asking him to jump off a cliff for me. All right, but if they can come into this room and maybe move my desk out so the carpet people can put the carpet in, that's all I ask. I'm, I'm a humble man that way. Probably chapter ten. How to move for <laughs> how to move furniture? How to move? How to help Ryan move his furniture? God. And you can rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that's all the things you can do with this podcast. So there you go. Well, download it and listen to it. Well, yeah, and subscribe. That stuff really matters. That stuff, it's it's very, very important. And we we honestly count on you guys as a community. We The best stuff that we get from this podcast is when you guys uh, email us show questions, show topics, uh, and that can be music industry stuff. We love answering listener questions on the air, but exactly. pop culture stuff too. Yeah. If there's something going on in the pop culture world that you want Dave and I to talk about, yeah. you know, the, the feudal system worked best when the surrounding town was really, you know, contributing grain and uh, timber and all sorts of stuff to the lord of the manor. That's right, serfs. Let's let's make this fiefdom a better place. Fiefdom. Is it is it really fiefdom? It's not fiefdom. Well, fiefdom sounds like a place just filled with people playing a fife. That's that's actually a good point. Yeah, I guess it'd be spelled differently because 
Fife would be F-I-F-E and Fief would be F-I-E. All right. Fiefdom it is. I've only seen it in print. Wow. So you're a terrible just influence on the landed gentry. <laughs> landed gentry. That's good stuff. Um, so a couple pieces of update. I uh, just I I haven't I, I, I said something to you all that wasn't true. I told you guys that my audiobook would be out June 2nd, and you probably noticed that it's not there yet. And apparently, Amazon Creation Exchange, who is supposed to be putting out this audiobook, uh, needs more time to review it. They said it should take less than a week. It's still being reviewed, and so we don't have an audiobook for you guys to enjoy yet. And But the moment it's out, I will let you guys know. We'll, we'll tweet it out. We'll blast it out. And we will make sure that you guys give it a listen. Come on, Bezos. I'm so mad. I'm, I'm, I really want people to enjoy this audiobook. And in fact, this week, in lieu of a guest, we're actually just going to play the first couple chapters of the book so you can get an idea of how what? it sounds. Wait, what? that was never told to me. Are you serious? I'm serious. You said we had no guest, meaning I think we're just going to... That's what I said. Do you want to go straight through? You're like, oh, let's have a break. Let's have a break. It's a good idea. Commercial break. But no, you just want to play your audiobook. That's right. You just want to... It put your voice without my voice on there. That's basically what it is. I mean, kind of. It's like, I need people to hear my voice, but I kind of don't want David's voice on there. You make me sound evil, but given your druthers, wouldn't you rather just have your voice be the only voice heard on this podcast I mean, as you much all, as possible? You did not ask me to participate in the audiobook. That would have been entertaining. It would have been fun. We could have alternated chapters. We could have alternated words. Yeah, and I could have gotten compensated. Oh, but you didn't want me to. That's true. Yeah. You're, gonna, you're probably going to make just as much on this audiobook as I am. You're not going to make anything? Probably not. Really? I don't know if people buy it. I... Honestly, come on, Bezos. I, I I gave serious thought to just giving the audiobook away, like on Noise Trade or something like that. But um, somebody told me that the Amazon Creation Exchange was a good way to get your audiobook out there. Boy, was I wrong because they still haven't finished the review yet. So yeah. I can't. Get I know. It out yeah, to you were people. thinking. You were thinking. Of, I mean, listen. You know how many times King George III just thought about giving people rights? But yeah, but these. Uh, Are much, we still doing the? It's me, too much of a thing. Me elitist thing, like. How am I like? I'm, I'm wearing a t-shirt and shorts right now. Like, I don't see. and I think your t-shirt says "Long Live Louis the Sixteenth. Wow. I mean, was he really that bad? God, had a good had a good head on his shoulders. Be careful, guy. otherwise some French partisans are going to come storming this place. Um, one other thing, if you uh, if you enjoy hearing my voice and not hearing David's voice, uh, you can. I oh, did an interview did. on the Now Hear This Entertainment uh, podcast with Bruce Warniak. Uh, we talked about the book. We talked about the audiobook that we hope to hear from eventually at some point. You know what's funny? How I've never been invited to any of these things. Just saying. Not one single Jordan do you, interview request. Do you want to be on? Do you want to be on podcast? We can. I can start marketing you out there on podcast. No, Ryan. What would make you think I want to be on a podcast? Look. What do you? What's out there? <laughs> what did your voice just do just yeah. now? Look, like, why aren't we on Doug Loves Movies? God damn it! I, I think you'd be great on podcast. What the reason why podcasts call for me is oh, because this will be good. This will be good. I'm better than you at this. Oh no, you no, no! I'm just fucker. kidding. No, it's because I have a book, and they want to talk to me about the book. Yeah, I've got a book. It's called How to Get a Knife in Your Back by a Friend. And if you actually wrote that book, then you'd have a book to promote, and you'd get to be on more podcasts. Oh, I've got a book right here for you. Folks can't see it, but I'm holding up a middle finger at That's Ryan. accurate. So, but yeah, you can check that out. Now hear this entertainment podcast with Bruce Warniak. Great, great show. We're actually going to have him on as a guest in a few weeks because he's <laughs> okay. fantastic. Right. I see what's going on here. Payola. Payola. <laughs> a couple articles this week before we get into pop culture stuff and we on, get Bezos. into the audiobook stuff and... All that stuff. Um, first, from the Music 3.0 blog, a friend of the Wait, show. Wait, you haven't like asked me how I'm doing. We haven't like had our discussion of how we're doing. I mean, I know what you're doing. You're stealing from the common man. I, I thought all of that was the, the pre-show talk. You want me to just, all right, all right, you know what? The Bru the Bobby Ausinski Aus article can wait. How are you doing, man? How's I really read this interesting article about Bobby Ausinski and uh, <laughs> sort of changed my life forever. Um Yeah. Yeah, no, that's not true. I, I was know. about to say, tell me, tell me all about it. It was <laughs> Since great. You read it already. Well, you know, you gotta, you gotta really take charge of your own career first and foremost. Mm -hmm. What else you did know? he say? 
you got to use the tools available to you, sort of new media and all that really important stuff. You know, and you got to get out there. You got to hustle. That's for sure. You got to work hard. Use your contacts. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Use people around you. Yeah. You know, get your stuff out there. Hustle, drive. Let's see what's also on the greatest hits album. Um, <laughs> so now, do you, would, would you say that he was in favor of moving your career forward or just letting your career stagnate? Ooh, that's a tough one because you've seen articles on both sides of the equation. Yeah, it's it's controversial, for sure. Yeah. It's 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 def- his was more of a forward piece. Yeah, uh, that's that's fair. He weighed the options, and it was definitely a forward-thinking piece. See, now I don't need to bring up the articles. That's pretty much what he talked about. Yeah, Brian, no, I'm just kidding. This I saw not- Wonder Woman. That was uh, gonna, great. We'll talk about... Okay, that's cool. We're Ryan, gonna, it was... Oh, fine, I'll save it for later. All right, man. We will talk about Wonder Woman because I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited to hear uh, your you review. Stink. And if you say it's good, that'll make me want to go out to the multiplex. It is, it is good. Finally, a good entry into the DC Extended Universe. Well done, Patty Jenkins. Yeah. You know, this is what happens when you don't have Zack Snyder doing anything for you. you have a story. He's a story by credit, but that's it. Hang on. Hang on. Save it. It's good. It's oh, good. That's right. Article number two. Yeah, well, no, no, because we, we haven't gotten article number one yet, because that's not actually what Bobby Osinski said. He wrote in his great blog, Music 3.0, highly recommended reading. He had a great article this week about one of the most important things you can do to book more gigs for yourself. The article is titled, Does Your Website Have a Gig Magnet? Um, if you don't, and basically what a gig magnet is, is a specific <laughs> booking section on your website. Man, I'm just all over the place today. And if you don't have a booking section on your website, you need to get one. You need something that specifically caters to venue bookers and booking agents so that they know not only that you're available to do gigs, but what kind of gigs you can do and what you tend to do when you get a gig. And so you need a specific, easy-to-find section on your website. It can say something like, book me or book my band. And once that page is clicked, what should be on it? Well, you got to have the basic stuffs, info about the band, basically the sort of stuff you'd see on an electronic press kit, a nice bio, what kind of music you play, what do you sound like. But Alsinski goes, it takes it a step forward. Yeah. PayPal. PayPal? That's what's got to be on the book me thing. I think it's probably that's number one and two. PayPal. Like how to pay? Yes, how to get paid. Well, I mean, I assume they pay you after the gig, but... Prepay! Prepay! I like that. We're going to start the new trend to prepay. <laughs> I'm sure musicians would be... Put a gig on layaway. <laughs> You get the gig later. Just pay up first. Um, but I'm sure all venues would love to pay that way. So Alsinski takes this a step further, though, and says that you should have other things on the on your book me or book my band page. Um, you want to uh, give the potential bookers specific statistics about your fan base, how many Twitter followers you have, Facebook likes, how many people on your email list, newsletter readers, because ultimately your socials and your email base are going to factor prominently into the venue's marketing campaign. They want to know what resources you're going to bring to the table that are going to help bring people to their venue. And so giving them that information up front can be very, very helpful. Also, Average attendance for your shows. What venues have you played at? A photo gallery, a staging plot for your show, past media quotes, quotes from venue bookers, uh, fans about your band. Give these venue bookers a nice rounded picture of what it's like to book you and what people have said about it. And third, and this is probably the most important thing, at least in my view, Alcinski lets you know that you want to have good quality live videos of you performing. Don't don't leave it to chance for the venue booker as to what you guys look like live. Give them some real video, but emphasis on good quality here, folks. My book talks a lot about this, but you want to make sure that the sound and the visuals are clear in these live performance videos. I'm sure you've seen this all the time, Dave, where you look at band's Facebook page and they have a a video, oh, this is us playing at so-and-so's bar last night, and you click it, and it's like... Cause, it's a phone phone audio. Right. Yeah. It's being recorded by some dude standing in the crowd. You see the bald spot of the guy in front, and they're nowhere near the sound source. All you hear is the crowd cheering. You can barely right. hear the band playing. That's not... like If you're going to take live video of your band, you absolutely should... Do it the right way. Make sure you have a clear shot of the band. Make sure you're not recording in a place where the crowd is just going to drown out all the noise from the band. Sometimes you even want to record the audio feed directly into the camera so you get good sound quality while still being able to hear the crowd cheering. 
And make sure you get like a nice live video shot above the crowd so that you're not just, you know, getting the crowd both visually and audio wise drowning everything out. Um, basically what you're trying to do with your, with your uh, gig magnet or your book me page is you're taking away the guesswork for venue bookers when it comes to booking you. You need to have information out there that lets these folks know what to expect, what, what they're going to get when they book you, what kind of musical experience you're going to give them, and what you guys actually sound like in the flesh, and what resources are you going to bring to the table promotionally in terms of your socials and email list so that the venues know how you're going to partner with them to get, get the word out about the show. Um, second story, I, another friend of the show, Hypebot publicist, on Hypebot, a publicist extraordinaire, friend of the show, Ariel Hyatt. We love her. We've had her on twice. And the rest of her team at Cyber PR wrote a cool article on, the, on Hypebot called Music Marketing Tips, How to Increase Your Fan Base. It has a lot of great and most importantly, easy to implement, good, solid, you can do these things tomorrow kind of suggestions about how to uh, boost your marketing. And I want to run through a few of them, especially the ones that focus on building your email list, since that is so important. Email lists are still the most important area of communication with your fans. It's still more important than social media. I know this still surprises a lot of artists. because are you serious? Absolutely. This surprises me. Uh, as And uh, it surprised me too <clears throat> before I talked to artists about this. But in terms of... If you had your sort of food chain of like social of communication with your fans, so email list still has many more advantages than Facebook likes, Twitter mentions, and many artists don't know this and think, well, email lists are the thing of the past. I want to focus on building e on Facebook likes, but email lists are still the gold standard, and here's why. Statistically, they have a much higher engagement rate than other socials and than, than other forms of communication. If you send an email out you are significantly more likely to get a response back and get engagement back than if you send something out on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of those things. And one of the reasons why is because an email list, it gives you one-to-one -one communication. If you're, if you're on Facebook, you're competing on the same screen with all these other things that are going on and somebody might skim right past you. But if you're on an email list, you can click, you know, somebody's clicking that email and they're opening it. And for that moment, you're getting a solid one-to-one -one page communication with that fan. Moreover, because it's a whole email, it gives you the opportunity to show that fan a whole lot of things during that viewing experience. You're not limited to a short Facebook post or 140 characters. You can have a regular newsletter that has all the stuff you've been doing that week. It allows you to directly communicate a message to your fans if you want to write them something specific. You can even have targeted emails where if you're you know, if you know that you're, if you've kind of built a targeted email list and you know fans, you can group email addresses by location. And so if you know that your fans, if you're going to be touring in a specific city, you can just write an email to those fans in that city, let them know you're coming by. So email lists are still the gold standard. And this Ariel Hyatt article gives you a lot of great, easy ways to build that email list up. First uh, piece of advice she gives is focus on the email resources you already have to find potential addresses. Hyatt advises that you look in your inbox and your outbox for friends of yours whose addresses you can add to your mailing list. It's amazing how much mailing list potential you already have in your own email world, and you don't even know it. But before you add these folks to your email list, ask them first. Uh, you know, let them know that this is something you want to do so that uh, you don't these emails don't end up as spam, and most importantly, all your friends don't hate you because you just start throwing your music career at them if they didn't want you to. And uh, you can also do the same thing with your most engaged fans on Facebook. Uh, take your, you know, 25 or so most engaged fans, reach out to them one by one and ask them if you can add their email address. It can be arduous, but because these folks are already your most dedicated fans, uh, Hyatt advises that this can really pay off for you in the long term. And you can do the same thing with Twitter and Instagram. And finally, getting back to live shows, this is probably still the best way to get fans on your email list. If they're coming to a live show, they already love you. They already dig your music. And it's a great way to get folks on your mailing list. And, you know, even before social media was invented, there was always the clipboard, right? You know, your fans head to the show and you got that clipboard out front. Here, give me your email address so you can be on our mailing list. And the clipboard technique still works. And it still has a, you know, a powerful effect. But Ariel's team suggests that you take it one step further um, when you're at your live shows and build up that email list by building a giveaway around it. 
you raffle something off at your show. So you can give away a free copy of your CD, but to enter the said raffle, it'll cost you an email address. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that can kind of motivate fans to join in. And one of the things that I even think might be a good idea, this isn't in the Hyatt article, but maybe what you do is you can even raise the potential reward depending on how many entrants you get. So you can say, well, if we get a few more addresses, we get a few more people who want to enter into this raffle, instead of just giving away a CD, it's a CD and a t-shirt or something like that. And that way you're motivating everybody in that crowd to just throw in their email address and they'll start, you know, there'll be peer pressure. The guy next to them will say, come on, give her, you know, enter this raffle so that we all have a chance to win a, a CD and a t-shirt or whatever the reward can be. So a couple cool articles there. You can check them out on the, uh, you can check out the Ausinski article on the Music 3.0 blog, and you can check out Ariel Hyatt's article at Hypebot. All right, we'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Ha! You were expecting some sort of interview thing or some sort of audio clip, but it's still us. Ha <laughs> ha! Changing back to it up. Break the Business podcast. Wonder Woman. You want to talk about Wonder Woman. I haven't seen it yet. Yes, Ryan. It wa- Oh, wait. Didn't you want to have like imaging for me? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You My apologies. Live from the Brown Derby in Hollywood and Vine in sunny and beautiful Hollywood, California. It's Dave's Movie Minute. Come on in while we discuss motion pictures, stars, and all the goings on around town. It's nice to know that even despite all the moving and changing in the studio, they, they sort of left our my Brown Derby set all... Good to go with the nice tiling and the booths and everything and all the memorabilia on the walls. It's, it's, it's good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're all, we're all good here. I feel like I want to turn my headphones up volume actually up a bit. We're never going to get this right for you, are we? Yeah, let's turn yours down a bit. My headphones. Don't leave my headphone knob alone. I okay. have it right where I want it. Okay. Do you? Yeah. All right. Wonder Woman was, wait for it, wonderful. hi there we go. It's there's only like how many things on there? Eight, eight, and this is how many times have we been using this for like a year now? The, and yet you're still like do 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 do. Oh, there it is. The print's very small. My vision's terrible. Don't you have contact lenses? Still bad. Oh my god, you're just like a blind man. It's bad. Like I'm probably almost at the point where I should be wearing reading glasses where I read things, and I'm fighting against it because I is that don't why you're a terrible driver? Sure. Oh, because you can't see. Oh, why would that have to do with reading glasses? No, because you you're blind. You can't see. That would finally actually, if anything, you should tell people like, how dare you keep criticizing my driving? I'm blind. Then all of us would stop. Rep. No, we don't. That's not you. Yet. You you wouldn't stop. It's like it's like you're like Mr. McGrew out there on the road. <laughs> I'm really driving today. All these weirdos are going the wrong way. <laughs> It's a really good Mr. Magoo. Considering I haven't seen I mean, it in like 20 years. I want to be mad at you for just needlessly making fun of my driving for no reason, but that's a really good Mr. Magoo impression. Again, last time I saw the cartoon was probably like in the mid-90s. Sure. So I mean, don't you miss the days of animation where a, a you could build a whole cartoon franchise off of essentially a one-joke character? Because that was all Mr. Magoo was, is that he's blind and he gets into shit because he's blind. And they and he and he had like a 50-year run in animation. Am I a one-joke character on this podcast? Two and a half. Oh my god, I'm three, realizing. Three when you're in the right I'm segment. having a self-realization moment. Oh my god, I'm fading away. No! I'm back. All right. <laughs> anyway, Wonder Woman was wonderful. I'm not giving you the sound effect again. Okay. Ryan, it was Wonder this to behold ryan i wonder 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 what's in a wonder ball oh wow that's another good reference yes i also wonder ryan who wrote the book of love 
it was Patty Jenkins, the director of Wonder Woman, because this was great and I loved it. And and it was it was it was good. And finally, a good movie in this DC extended universe, uh, well extended universe between the Man of Steel, Man of Steel, BVS, Suicide Squad. Those are all hot steaming piles of garbage. Wonder Woman stands alone, gleaming, an Amazonian goddess atop the heap. That is uh, Zack Snyder's pitiful creations. I know. So, Patty Jenkins is the name of the director, right? Yes. And I know enough about her to know that I think she only has one other film credit. She hasn't it, done much, no. Right. But it was Monster, which yes, was... Yes, the Shirley's there from a, a while ago. Right, which was a spectacular movie. If she is this good, and you're saying this movie was good, and of course yes. I've seen Monster, and it's probably one of my favorite movies. Like It's one of the best movies i've ever seen how is she not getting more work why is she, she not did a lot of t- she did, she done a lot of tv work even the screenwriter who i don't have i don't have the imdb pulled up on me in front of me but the screenwriter a solo screenwriter and zach snyder didn't do anything with the screenplay he was just he had a story by credit um screenwriter also did a lot of tv work which is interesting um but it's nice when his handprints are all over something and guess what dude the movie was bright and sunny and humorous in moments, and it had good balance and struck a good tone. It was, if you will, a freaking movie with a complete story. Oh my god, what a concept! Yeah, so it it wasn't the sort of like gloomy DC movie that we've come to. It, it sounds it sounds more marvelous from the way you describe it. Well, it was marvelous, Ryan, and I hope you get over that speech impediment very soon. We're all praying for you, especially with the audiobook recording. Um, <laughs> Marvel-ish. Marvel-esque, if you will. <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, no, it, it was great. Gal Gadot, oh, dude, so good. She is really awesome. You know, I guess Le- Lebanon is never going to show it because she's an Israeli Jewish woman. So, Pretty tacky, you know, Lebanon. Yeah, whatever. But that, that's all, that was also one of the reasons I loved it. Like, you know, it's like, oh, my God, this is an Israeli woman, like, as the lead here. And as this symbol of, of empowerment, especially for, for young girls, too, and everything. It's like, oh, one day, I definitely got to show this movie to my daughter. Yeah. This is a great movie, it, it, and she had really great chemistry with uh, Chris Pine. You know, Wonder Woman, uh, Diana Prince, and Steve Trevor had really good chemistry. They interacted well. It was great. So, did they sort of? Because I know there's supposed to be some romantic overtones between the two of them. Did they handle that well? Because my fear with any sort of female-led superhero movie where there's a love interest is it's going to suffer the same problem that Hollywood does with lots of movies with love interests, where like. You know, oh, she's saving the world, but oh no, now she just needs a man, and now that's going to be this whole essence oh, of this oh, movie. Oh God, no, 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 no! I did not get that. They they, they handled that well, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, I, I, she never ever goes under him, like subservient to him. Right. She never ever is placed like on the hierarchy, like beneath him, like he's the one in charge. Like no, 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 she's the freaking badass. She she learns lessons along the way, and she yeah. she needs to learn stuff because by virtue of the story, and you know she's been on this island right. her whole life, and it's a whole new brand new world, the mm-hmm. world of World War One, you know. But no 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 no, it's never any sort of they never bring her back down. My goodness, yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you this. Um, even when, even when they they try to in some scenes where it's like oh, we, we need to, she has to sort of blend in. She never like she always is still above it. You know, she never is. She never becomes a woman of the t- of that time or whatever. Well, thank that's you that, know. It sounds so, like they handle that well. It, that's it, good. And uh, um, the supporting cast also. I mean, Robin Wright. Robin Wright. I always want to say Robin Wright Penn, but it's not Robin Wright Penn anymore. Yeah, no, no, no. Robin no. Wright. Um, she's oh, great. God. She's great. Oh, and who was? Oh God, I, I, bear with me. I go real quick. I go the, her mother, the Queen. Ah, uh, it, it, it's got good people. It's got good people. Oh, what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> well. I want to say this about, because I mean, I've always sort of understood in principle the idea of like, yeah, we, you know, we need to represent women better in movies. They can't just be, you know, the, the Connie Nielsen, that's who the girl, you know, the the poor damsel in distress tied to the railroad tracks in every single movie, but it didn't really hit me firsthand until I watched the hunger games where I had this kind of epiphany moment as a man where I'm watching The Hunger Games, and as I'm watching it, I'm noticing... Uh, it's so un- annoying. Well, that, you know, so you have Katniss and Peeta, and throughout the movie, Peeta's getting, like, you know, c- captured by something, or constantly getting into something where 
you know, he needs Katniss. He's to, constantly getting into scrapes. Right. And like, and Katniss always has to bail his ass out. And I'm just getting I'm like, like I'm, and I was just like, man, PETA is such a frustrating character. I really hate having to watch this. And then I was like, oh my God, this is what it's like for women to watch every fucking movie ever made ever. The Hunger Games does not pass the Bechdel test. We think if, if there's females <laughs> characters on screen, are they ever having a conversation that does not revolve around a man? Yeah. And since that was also PETA and then also Thor Jr., the other Hemsworth, uh, Liam Hemsworth, and it's just, yeah, that was the most annoying thing. Well, I should probably maybe save the world and society, but I also got to choose between these two guys. <laughs> exactly. When they're both given equal weight. <laughs> no, that movie was so frustrating. No, Wonder Woman yeah. is nothing like that. Wonder Woman Good. blasts the Hungy Games out of the water. Did you just call it the Hungy Games? I heard that once, yes. Well, that, that that makes me very very excited to see this movie. It it, it was really good. Now yeah. I I heard though someone I know didn't like the movie. Who? Alamo Drafthouse critic. Oh, <laughs> yeah, bro. When are you gonna give me my shot? All right. So, the, somebody like because we were talking about that Alamo Drafthouse thing last week where they yeah Alamo Drafthouse had a a yeah. woman only. Yeah, I couldn't get in, Ryan. I couldn't get in. But do you know what that guy did? He actually just filed a civil rights complaint. Like, he's actually taking yeah, this to it, court. Yeah, way to go, bro. I should do the same, too. Right? Ask me if I was able to see it at Alamo Drafthouse. Were you able to see it at Alamo Drafthouse? Yeah, there's, they have other screens. Apparently, it's not 1974. There's, there's more than one screen. But, but that's beside the point, Ryan. I, I, I really like the chairs in the other theater. I've got a butt groove in one. <laughs> I just asked me how I like it, bro. The movie. Why? No, I'm just going to ask me if I liked it. Oh, sorry. They said why. Like, oh, Remember, did, I, did you? Yes. Okay. I'm co-opting Dave's segment because I'm Alamo Drafthouse critic. Okay, guy. Alamo Drafthouse critic guy. Uh, did you like the movie? You know, buddy, I, it really, it just, it's sad that little boys everywhere will never know a time about, like, where, where maybe a guy could be a hero for once. Like, what about giving a man superpowers, all right? What if you have a... What, but no, they'll never let it happen, right? Okay, Adam Drafters won't let it happen. There'll never be a man that's super, okay? Can you think of one man that's super right now that could, like, be strong and fly and stuff? <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah. And There's not even, you know, they have Catwoman, but what about a man that dresses up like some other nocturnal creature? They'll never do that, yeah. Ryan. Yeah, you'll you'll never see a movie with with a male superhero, and like God forbid, like a movie with a bunch of male superheroes in it at the same time. That'll never happen. Oh, like an ensemble movie? Yeah, Sorry. unlikely, bro. <laughs> but but Gal Gadot is hot, so I guess it's okay. Yeah, she's pretty cute. Yeah, that's what that's what matters. And, and like super strong and everything. She's awesome. Yeah, and, I mean, it, it makes me feel like I I definitely feel insecure about myself. Seeing her powerful and not and not relying on Steve, <laughs> yeah, you know it definitely brings up uh, feelings of inadequacy on my part, and the fact that maybe I've never been able to satisfy a woman. But wow. you know, you're really getting real, Alamo Drafthouse guy. You shut up, Ryan. No, sorry, sorry, you're right. I would have I would have filed a lawsuit against you. <laughs> I bet you. I bet men can't even listen to this podcast. No, there's a great article in the Ringer about Wonder Woman and how. Basically, it represents the fact that finally Hollywood got a female superhero movie right, and it it runs through all of the, you know, failures of female superhero movies, starting with Supergirl in like 1984, which was apparently a disaster, going up through you know the early 90s with Tank Girl and Barbed <laughs> Wire with Pamela Anderson. I think it's was it Barbed Wire or yeah. Barbarella. No, no, you're thinking of like Jane Fonda. Oh yeah, Barbed Wire was Pamela Anderson's like attempt at making an actual. Oh yeah, it yeah, was yeah, terrible. Yeah. And you know, going through, uh, you know, to oh, Catwoman. Gosh. I guess yes. the Halle Berry. Well, Catwoman. well, before that, you have like Elektra. Oh you know, yeah, going up I through Catwoman, and then you start to see like the women in the Avengers movies, but they don't get their own movie. And basically, like what Hollywood did. That's true. You start off with Pepper Potts, the assistant. Although she kind of, in the third Iron Man movie, she then... Kind of becomes a superhero. Yeah, because Guy Pierce makes it for... That's the thing. That's the thing about Wonder Woman. She has... Nothing external happens to her to give her powers. Right. She just is. She just is. Right. She just is strong and awesome and amazing. Mm -hmm. But... And basically, what the you know one of the conclusions of the article is that like Hollywood would make these terrible female-led superhero movies with bad scripts. They get bad directors to do them. And then they go see... Right. 
then they go see when it fails. We can't do it. Well, that's what this is, right? And then and then it's a critical and box office disaster. And they go see nobody, you know, female lit superhero movies. You can't do it. It can't be done. Well, what if we actually just make one with a good script? No, that's impossible. Did I tell you, Ryan? Actually, my uncle was it was a studio executive in the nineties. Yeah, he was in charge of superhero movies. I think he did all right in the nineties. The nineties. Yeah, the heyday of superhero movies. Like Tank Girl. Yeah. Lori Petty. And, and uh, Daredevil. That's my uncle right there. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's the other thing. How Super come... Mario Brothers. You know, when, when there were so many commercial and critical disappointment male-led superhero movies, and, ne- and Hollywood never went, okay, guess we're giving up on the whole male superhero yeah. thing. Yeah. But Wonder Woman has uh, already made like over $100 million here domestically. It's already made 200 globally. Ooh. So Ooh. Uh, money talks, bullshit walks. Uh, looks like we're going to be in for some good stuff here. Do I have faith in the Justice League movie, though? Uh, not really, because, you know, as great as Wonder Woman is, that project is not going to be uh, handled by the same people, probably. Or it's not. I mean, maybe I think Josh Whedon has been called in to do some reshoots or some edits. I oh, mean, boy, that's it's, not a good sign. It's, it's, it's a snafu over there, but at least Wonder Woman has proven the bright, shining example. Although I feel like because of Wonder Woman's success, they're going to make probably feature her even more prominently in that movie and that might try to save it that'd be great but yeah, yeah. anyway but uh, anyway it's uh, speaking of uh, some interesting news i got some news from a friend oh okay hey how's it going ryan hey canada dave uh, our, our neighbor to the north friend we haven't heard from you in a while oh gosh buddy for the first time ever you got my name right first try out of the gate sorry i know and it's been a while too oh, boy, it's I easy went... for me to forget where have you been i wish we had the goal horn to, to play that, that that really made me feel good Dave. um oh yeah no i've been around uh, following the stanley cup playoffs currently right now uh, in nashville uh, game three was last night. The Predators won uh, 5-1. They won big, buddies. Now it's 2-1 uh, in Pittsburgh. Are you, are you watching any uh, any uh, Stanley Cup final action, buddy? I, I've been watching the highlights. I felt very bad when I said a few episodes ago that I didn't know anything about the Stanley Cup finals, and so I wanted to brush up a little bit, so I've watched highlights. It looks oh, pretty exciting. 2-1 series. You don't know the national game of Canada. You just don't. Was that lacrosse? Oh, buddy. I actually read that somewhere. Technically, the national sport of Canada is not hockey. It's lacrosse. Okay. What sort of uh, terrible non-maple syrup rag did you get that from me? I'm I'm, I'm, I'm looking up right now. Okay. Was this some sort of American publication? I okay. can't. I can't remember where I saw it from, but uh, it, it, that's that's below, That's a load of hooey, Ryan. Oh, You're making oh, me oh, swear. Oh, look, I mean, not that we're necessarily going to trust, um, you know, Wikipedia, but according to Wikipedia. In 1994, Parliament passed the... Oh, never mind. Wait, oh wait, boy. wait, wait, wait. Okay, I'll read what it says. The Parliament passed the Canada National Sport Act, which declared lacrosse to be Canada's national summer sport, and hockey is the national winter sport. So I was half right. Well, Ryan, that'd be interesting. Of course, in Canada, there is no such thing as summer. It's just one long winter. So you, you're wrong, buddy. So 11 months out of the you're year, wrong. Canada's the national sport. T- take the hoserness, buddy. Okay, just just take the hoserness. Yeah. Anyway, buddy. Oh yeah. boy, my. You never. You'll never guess what's coming on. What's coming back, buddy? For one night only, of course. Buddy, the Great White North is back, man. Take off, eh? An all-star benefit for Jake Thomas and spinal cord injury, Ontario. They're back, buddy. Bob and Doug McKenzie. Whoa, really? Yeah. Everyone's favorite duo from SCTV. Oh, it's, it's amazing. The phone has been there for a year, and you, you just don't know what to do with it. I need reading glasses. You, you ever think that's why you're terrible at the, the, uh, riding the dog sled, eh? Yeah, why you can't drive them? <laughs> I saw you once trying to ride the dog sled, and you, you went off a cliff. It was it, it it was sad. It was the worst I did a ride ever. It, it was sad. There's dogs everywhere. <laughs> piles of them. I'm just getting like the worst mental image of a, like a pile up of huskies at the bottom of a crevasse. And, and I was sad. there with you, buddy. And I think. Wait a minute. And the wolves were there too, and they saw that. Oh. They've been. It's a, a case of mistaken identity. The wolves should be at your door, Ryan. Oh, I'm gonna tell them. Oh, don't you think I'm gonna tell them where to go, eh? Okay. 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 <laughs> but yes. Bob and... For, okay. For, for, can, can, for those... Can you, yeah, for let those, the uninitiated know what that is. For you, for you youngsters in the audience, which is probably most of you, 
Uh, there was a thing called SCTV, sort of big up in Canada. It actually kind of gets to start out in uh, Chicago because that's the SC stands for Second City. Mm-hmm. Eh? Because Chicago is known as the Second City. That's right. I guess maybe, I don't know. I, just, I think it's just Toronto. I guess it's the first city of Canada. I don't know. What's the first city when people think of Canada? Is Toronto. it Toronto? Yeah. I bet if you were to ask most Americans, much like that scene in Canadian Bacon, they probably think Toronto is the capital. They probably would. Of course, those, those Frenchies would say otherwise. They probably think it's Montreal or something like that. Eh? <laughs> but we don't care. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm going to hear it from Quebecois Dave later Yeah, I was on. about to say, I was like, that's usually when Quebecois Dave shows up. Oh, he's going to send me an angry email. That's for sure, buddy. Dude loves email. <laughs> like the people at Hypebot or whatever, such nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Building their emails. So anyway, yeah. Rick Moranis is going to be back on sort of TV for the first time in a very long time, along mm. with Dave Thomas, not, not the Wendy Dave Thomas, to support uh, his uh, nephew. What was his nephew? Yeah. <laughs> his nephew after a uh, spinal cord injury. And uh, Ryan, it's it's not just Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas. Eh? It's also going to be Martin Short. Wow. And, and also, there's going to be an interview by Jiminy Glick. Jiminy Glick. Yep. Wow. Oh, that's yeah, going eh? back. Oh, we're getting the top stars, eh? Woo. And also Dan Aykroyd, Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy, Joe Flaherty. We have from the kids in the hall, Dave Foley, Scott Thompson, Kevin McDonald. Musical performances by Paul Schaefer, eh? Ian Thomas, Murray McLaughlin. I don't know who that is. That's Surprise it. musical guests, other surprises. This is, is going to be a hell of a Canadian show, eh? And uh, you can get tickets. This is going to be, uh, oh, where is this? It's, it's going to, tickets are going on sale on June 12th, uh, buddy, on secondcity.com. Yeah. Um, you know, they're $500, eh? That's. That's the, the cheapest ones. The VIPs are $2,500. That's, that's very, I mean, is that like Canadian dollars? And is there a favorable exchange rate or? Because <laughs> that seems like a lot. I, 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 I don't think it's a loony, buddy. I think this is a good old fashioned USDs. Yeah. So, I mean. Uh, well, here's what's interesting about, I mean, forget about Rick Moranis making a return to television. Like, how about Rick Moranis just making a return to anything? The guy doesn't, hasn't done anything in years. He's really, I mean, this is kind of a big deal, him coming out of retirement. Well, come on now. All right, up in Canada, we take care of our family members, okay? We're not just like all the Hollywood types like you here, right? I don't see your kids running around here at all, okay? <laughs> Maybe the wolves got them. Yeah, it would serve you right. Oh, are you wishing that a Canadian wolf would eat my children? That doesn't seem very nice. I have lived in fear of wolves, Ryan, for the past <laughs> 10 years because of you, okay? I think it's time you experience the same, the wolves being at your door. You're not being a very friendly Canadian right now. Well, here in Miami, the water will be at your door soon enough. Oh, that's yes. accurate. That's all right. Our boy, our boy Trudeau knows what's up. He's delightful. Yeah. Everyone loves our guy Trudeau. No one hates him. That's true. That's Trudeau. <laughs> Oh, buddy, the jokes just keep coming up my love. But hey, Ryan, guess what? In honor of the Stanley Cup Finals, you know what I think we should play? What should we play? Hockey team or hoser talk? No, really? <laughs> yeah, I, you, you, you're just gonna like hit the button for no reason. No, there's either. there's no sound effect for that. Okay, Ryan, right? It's it's quite simple. It's a hockey team or hoser talk. Like if I were to say the Florida Panthers, oh, that's a hockey team. Yes. Okay. All right. Good. And and so if it's not a hockey team, then it's hoser talk, and I have to guess which is which. Right, yes, okay. okay. So let's go, buddy. The Pittsburgh Pirates. We're going to start off easy. Oh, that's hoser talk. It's a baseball team. Ryan, the Pittsburgh Pirates in the NHL in 1925 and 1926 season, and also the 1929-1930 season, named after the baseball team, funnily enough. Oh, come on! That was an NHL they're, team, Ryan. they're not a hockey team anymore. That was a hockey team, Ryan. So it's a hockey team at any time in history? Apparently. You know, you know, Ryan, that's the problem with you Americans. You don't learn from history, not like us Canadians. <laughs> like, one time, I had I mixed maple syrup and beer. And it was delicious, but caused me bad indigestion. So what do you think I've done since then? Uh, not done that. Oh, it? no, that's stupid, buddy. It's delicious. I keep on doing it all the time. You got to <laughs> learn from history. It was good. And so you kept doing it. Makes sense. All right. Okay, buddy. Let's see here. How about the Atlanta Flames? Yes, that is a hockey team. It used that was the former name of the Calgary Flames. I mean, it's not one right now, though, buddy. <laughs> hey, shut up! That I actually knew a piece of NHL history. Come okay, on, that was about, impressive. That I actually knew that. How about the Philadelphia Quakers? Okay, so this is tricky because there is a hockey team in Philadelphia called the Quakers, but it's UPenn. It's not the Philadelphia Quakers. So I'm gonna. I mean, are you saying that if the, if you're saying the team name is Philadelphia Quakers? Then that's hoser talk. Okay. 
That's an answer for sure, buddy. But that's uh, that's wrong. The Philadelphia Quakers are what the Pittsburgh Pirates became after they moved to Philadelphia <laughs> after the 1930 season. Man, learning some things. Okay, buddy. How about the Peterborough Peets? That can't. That that sounds ridiculous. That can't be true. That's hoser talk. That does sound ridiculous, buddy. But you know yeah. what? It happens to be a hockey team in the Ontario Hockey League. Peterborough? Yeah. Wow. Part of the Canadian Hockey League. Yeah, you know where all the kids go. What, what's their, what's their, uh, is their mascot just a dude named Pete? Like, I don't understand how this works. Peterborough. Uh, yeah. Duh, eh? He's a good guy. Fair enough. Okay. What do you got against Pete? Uh, no, he seems, Everybody he seems, loves he Pete. seems terrific. Much like Trudeau, everybody yeah. loves him. He helps you move a couch if you call, okay, buddy? I bet he does. And you know what, you know what he does? He, I, I helped him move some stuff around because he had people coming to change his carpet, eh? All right? And you know what we did? We moved the furniture out of there, okay? It doesn't matter if it's 20 degrees below zero in June. We're going to freaking move that furniture. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Pete's a stand-up guy. Yeah. Okay, buddy. How about the Colorado Rockies? Yes, that, that is an actual hockey team. Oh, but am or I talking was. about the baseball team? No, you're not. I mean, in this case, no. You're talking about the hockey team. Yeah, it's hockey team or hoser talk. I know I'm right. Just tell me I'm right. About what? That, that the Colorado Rockies is the name of a hockey team. Or are they? No, they are. I actually know this. Okay, that's actually right. Yeah. All right. How about the Kansas City Scouts? The Kansas City Scouts. No, it sounds like a baseball team name. Hoser talk. Uh, that's what used to be the Colorado Rockies, no. the Kansas City Scouts. Damn it, also damn, the it, NHL. damn it, damn it, damn it. Ugh. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's a tough going here, buddy. It, 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 it's tough going. Come on. I've got a couple of these right, just like because I genuinely know a little bit about NHL history, even though I don't know anything about hockey now. Like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Credit where credit's due, man. All right. How many more of these you got? Because uh, right, I want to play my audio book. How about the Atlanta Dream? No, that's a WNBA franchise. Oh, that's good job. Man. Yeah, you can't fool me. Actually, you fool me all the time, but you can't fool me on that okay. one right there. All right, how about the Middletown Dream? That's hoser talk. Is that any level of professional hockey, including juniors? I mean, it could be, but I don't think it is. I think it's hoser talk. Only America, only America, silly enough to do the uh, non-plural team names. It's a uniquely our country thing, and it sounds dumb. There are hockey leagues in America. Well, I know, but Middletown sounds like a Canada town. So I need an, an answer of what it's it is. It's not a hockey team. Ryan, I'm sorry. The answer, the answer we're looking for, that's a Rush song. <laughs> you give me every time with that. Oh. So technically that's incorrect because I did not get the correct specific answer of what that was, which makes you, Ryan, once again for the 400th time in a row or whatever it is, a hoser. Yeah. Yes. And a hoser that has plagued my life now, I, I've, I've realized, with wolves. Yeah. Sorry about that. With the oh. whole Iditarod crash. Oh, no, you're not sorry, eh? I can tell. I can see it in your face. You're not sorry. <laughs> I'm not what? Sorry? What, what's that? What? Like, you, you, you're, you, you, it sounded like you were saying sorry, but it didn't sound like that. Oh, because I said sorry. It's like, sorry? Who? <laughs> what? Right now, I don't have time for your childish American games, eh? Okay? Me and the rest of the world got stuff to do. Canada Dave. Canada Dave, everybody. Yeah. Sorry. Because we got to save the planet. Otherwise, there could be no ice rinks left, buddy. Oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a really loud applause. That's really good. All right. Um, our thanks to Canada Dave and my thanks to you, Dave. Um, we're thanks. Gonna, we're going to play the podcast out by playing a chapter from the Break the Business audiobook. I want to get the audience excited about it so that when it eventually becomes available for sale, which uh, I hope to be very soon, you'll all want to uh, check yeah. it out. Oh, no thanks to me just because I tell the truth, bro. Oh, I'm so and our, our thanks to um, Alamo Drafthouse guy. Wow, that's a strong uh, opinion there, eh? Why are you giving that guy thanks? He's kind of that's, a hoser. That's very true. All right, audiobook. Thanks for listening to the Break the Business Podcast. Bye. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Chapter 2. You Will Pay for This Record Deal. The Talk. It is an unfortunate fact 
that many early career artists who sign record deals do so without the advice and assistance of counsel. Entertainment lawyers are expensive, and struggling musicians understandably bristle at springing for a lawyer when doing so would cut into their eating-to-survive budget. So they do without, and they hope that they are not making a perilous and life-destroying decision in the process. Spoiler alert, they are. But every once in a while, an artist is fortunate enough to get a legal professional involved before they sign their name to anything. Maybe the artist was making some decent coin playing live shows and could scrape together a retainer. Or maybe the artist was able to get some free advice from a lawyer in her family who was sufficiently guilted into helping out a fellow relative. Many lawyers I know have been called upon to help a family member in need. Once you get your law license, it's amazing how many eighth cousins thrice removed come out of the woodwork seeking uncompensated counsel. When it comes to entertainment advice, however, I'm usually willing to provide free legal services to most family members, friends, and friends of friends who need it. As I noted in the previous chapter, I became a lawyer specifically to help musicians. I knew damn well when I started that most musicians tend not to rank amongst the well-to-do, not when they first start their careers, at least. If I restricted myself to assisting only musicians with money, I would be awfully short on people to help. Besides, when a musician comes to me with a record contract and wants my advice for free, I have my own unique form of compensation. Before I do any work, they have to let me give them the talk first. The talk is my long-winded and sermonizing lecture for why they should not sign this deal that they have worked their whole life to earn. I go through all of the troublesome terms of these agreements in excruciating detail. The talk tends to drag on for quite a while and has only increased in length over my young career as I read through one soul-crushing record contract after another. By the end of the talk, I have usually annoyed and disenchanted my clients so much that they wish they had simply paid me when they had the chance. Toward the end of the talk, I usually switch from a droning oration to more of a question-and-answer format in the hope that some back-and-forth discussion might get my increasingly impatient client to change their mind about signing. The conversation usually goes something like this. Why do you even want to work with a record company, I inquire? Well, they will record my music and put it in stores so that people can buy it, they inevitably respond. You don't need a record company for that, I reply. These days, record companies don't record your albums anyway. You will most likely be the one that has to manage the actual recording. And there are plenty of companies out there who will put your music on iTunes, on music streaming services, and in stores for next to nothing. Why would you need a label for that sort of thing? After being momentarily taken aback, my client will usually point out, but what about marketing and promotion? The record label probably has a huge marketing department that will advertise my music. Which prompts my ready response. Actually, you might be surprised to know that nothing in the contract even obligates the label to do any promotion for you. They can just sit on the record if they want to and leave you to promote the album with no support. Moreover, most of the promotion done by labels is not done in-house anymore, to the extent that they feel like doing any promotion on your record, they will usually contract with independent promoters to do it. So if what you really want is someone to promote your music, why use a label at all? Why not just contract with those independent promoters yourself? My client retorts with little hesitation. I can't pay for that stuff. I need a label to buy those things for me. I'm not a millionaire lawyer like you, he says to the guy with $185 in his bank account and six figures of student loan debt. It is at this point that I drop the hammer. Well, here's the thing about that. Under this contract, you pay for all of those things, not the label. In fact, you pay for pretty much everything. What? My client responds, somewhat confused. No, 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 that can't be right. The deal is that I contribute my labor to make the record, and the label contributes their money to sell the record. That has to be how it works, right? Wrong. You make the record, and you pay for it. My client will usually pause as this information sinks in, and his face will contort like he smells something rotten. Then, suddenly, he'll blurt out, Well, what in the hell does the label do? Get ready to pay up. The shock that musicians have when I give them that particular piece of information is certainly understandable. 
For one thing, they usually come to me believing that the record contract in their hand represents a desire by a label to make a real investment in their career. They thought that the record company would be putting some skin in the game. When I tell them that this is not really the case, that in fact it is the artist that shoulders the true financial burden of their record deal, it is more than a little disconcerting to them. The second reason why my little revelation catches them by surprise is that none of what I tell them is immediately apparent when you read a standard recording agreement. You will not find an artist hereby agrees to pay for everything clause clearly spelled out in the contract. In fact, the contract will even feature some language stating how the label will pay the recording costs of the artist's albums and may even cover some of the album's promotion expenses. That would seem to completely contradict everything I just told my client, so what gives? Rest assured, the artist pays for everything language is very much a part of standard record contracts. The language is just buried quite well. After all, if you're a label in the business of profiting off musicians' backs, it helps to conceal your tactics a bit. The Recording Process To understand how a record contract imposes a financial burden on the artist, you have to understand the process by which an album gets made under a recording agreement. You might feel like you know something about how the recording process works, particularly if you've seen movies like Ray, Rockstar, or Dreamgirls. Those movies will usually feature some kind of recording session scene or montage taking place in a label studio. The scene is a well-worn film trope. It starts with a nameless studio technician pointing to the artist's protagonist on the other side of a glass partition, signaling to the artist that the recording has begun. The band starts to play together, and they nail the song perfectly on the first try, because they are the heroes of the story, and heroes don't need two takes. All the while, the camera pans to a couple of label executives sitting in the control room, smiling and patting each other on the back because they know that they just heard the next big hit. Like many things presented to us by Hollywood, these scenes are wildly inaccurate. For one thing, High-quality music recordings are never produced perfectly and simultaneously in one take. In fact, each instrument is usually recorded separately for ease of editing. Many takes for each instrument are usually required. And, after the standard band instruments are recorded, some additional instruments and other sweeteners will be overdubbed to create a richer sound. Then, someone has to edit and comp the whole thing. This process typically involves some poor engineer pondering his life choices while he spends eight hours repeatedly listening to the same seven seconds of playback until he can get the sound to come out just right, or until he kills himself, whichever comes first. The trope of these smiling label executives in the company studio is also quite fictional. The vast majority of recording studios these days are not label-owned, and executives are usually nowhere to be found in most recording sessions. Instead, Studios tend to be independently owned and located in crappy neighborhoods where industry suits fear to tread. In fact, most artists are usually surprised to find out how little involvement record companies tend to have with the making of the actual record. After the label approves the song choices and sets the recording budget, the record contract tasks the artist with doing everything else required to deliver a finished album to the label. Sometimes, the artist is even responsible for doing the requisite menial paperwork to make the album, such as preparing all of the tax, immigration, and union forms for all of the participants in the recording process. Given most musicians' extensive background in tax, immigration, and labor law, this is obviously no problem for them. But let's put that little annoyance aside for a moment and get back to the main issue. Who pays for your masterpiece to be recorded? The record contract usually provides for the handling of recording costs in one of two ways. Either the label will cover the expenses outlined in the approved recording budget, or will pay a recording fund to the artist, and the artist will pay the recording costs out of that fund. The soul-crushing terror that is recoupment. So far, the funding process for an album seems quite equitable, doesn't it? The artist supplies the labor, and the label supplies the capital. Sounds fair. It seems conceivable that what would happen next is that the sales from the album would then be split in some way to compensate each side for what they contributed to the project. The artist would get a chunk for their investment of time and labor, and the label would get a chunk for their investment of money. And if enough albums are sold, then both sides profit from their investment. That's totally how it works, right? Not a chance. 
If it worked that way, I wouldn't be writing this book. You see, the scenario I just described would be an example of a fair business deal, one in which the artist was not getting turbo-screwed by his or her label. Instead, standard record deals state that the artist does not receive any royalties, i.e. the artist's cut of record sales, until the label makes back every dollar of what it's spent on recording costs. This is known as recoupment. Once that wrinkle gets added to the mix, the business arrangement starts to look a little more one-sided. Recoupment allows the label to start feeding at the trough long before the artist does. The artist does not get so much as a nibble for their work until the label makes its recording investment back. And if you think that's unfair, wait until you hear the best part. Record contracts also stipulate that the label recoups its recording costs solely from the artist's royalties. Wrap your head around what this means. Before the artist gets any money from sales of the music, the label gets to recoup recording costs, not from all of the money made, but just from the artist's share of the money. And because the artist's share of the royalties is a pittance, the album generally has to be a smash hit in order for the artist's royalties to get over the recoupment hurdle and finally start making their way into the artist's pocket. We'll get into the details of what an artist can expect their share of the royalties to be in Chapter 4, but for the moment, just take it on faith that it ain't much. One implication of this is that it will take a much longer time for the artist to see any royalties, because the label is using a smaller pool of money to recoup its investment. Another implication is that the label's investment in the artist is not actually an investment at all. Let's call it what it really is. It is a loan, pure and simple, and a loan with horrifyingly bad terms at that. The record company is the bank, and the artist is its debtor. The artist will pay back that loan from the money to which they were otherwise entitled under the contract. Thus, record deals require artists to shoulder the complete financial burden of making a record, just as they would if they'd made it themselves. The only difference is that... With a record deal, the artist gets a much smaller piece of the revenues generated by the record than if they had simply stayed independent. To make matters worse, as if they weren't bad enough already, the label's recouping party does not stop at the recording costs. In fact, record contracts usually stipulate that nearly every significant expense the record company incurs with regard to your album will be paid back out of your royalties. The recoupable costs frequently include non-standard album design, packaging, and manufacturing costs, costs of producing and releasing music videos to promote your album, costs of paying independent promoters for your album, independent marketing expenses for your album, costs of presenting any live promotional performances of your music, costs pertaining to the use of your recordings on mobile devices, e.g. creating ringtones, ringbacks, and mobile artwork, Costs associated with your website, e.g. design, hosting, and maintenance. Basically, the label gets to recoup damn near everything that relates to your album from your royalties. I repeat, you are on the hook for everything. Record deal or no record deal, it is the artist who pays for the costs pertaining to the creation, promotion, and sale of the album. Granted, it was not always this way. Labels used to rightfully see many of these expenditures as a cost of doing business for them and did not try to foist those debts upon artists. Unfortunately, these more scrupulous practices are those of a bygone era and have long since joined leg warmers and parachute pants as footnotes in history. Nowadays, the label might flash its credit card at first, but ultimately it is the artist who gets stuck with the bill. In conclusion... Whether you sign your name to a record contract or not, you will pay for your album and the accompanying costs required to sell it. So why sign that contract? If the costs are yours either way, why let someone else keep the lion's share of the benefits?